This is the Cosmosphere Podcast. Coffee at the Cosmosphere. We choose to go to the moon with Cosmosphere curator Shannon Wetzel. I'm your host, John Molnix, and I'm a volunteer here at the Cosmosphere. You can catch me on this podcast and on my other show, The Space Shot. In this episode, you'll hear the audio from July's Coffee at the Cosmo. Shannon Wetzel is the curator at the museum, and her talk was We Choose to Go to the Moon. It covers some Apollo history and more. But first up, we've got Carla, and she has some exciting news and information on events coming up this fall at the Cosmosphere that you're going to want to hear. So let's dive right in. Liftoff! Uh, Roger, this is Liberty Bell 7. The clock is operating. Loud and clear, Jose. Don't cry too much. Okie doke. Okay, it's a nice ride up to now. Loud and clear. Roger. Okay, the fuel is go, about one and a quarter G's. Cabin pressure is just coming off the peg. The oxygen is go. We're at 26 amps. Roger, pitch AA, trajectory is good. Roger, looks good here. Okay, there, we're starting to pick up a little bit of the noise and the vibration. Not bad, though, at all. Okay, the fuel is go, one and a half G's. The cabin is eight. The oxygen is go at 27 amps. And the pitch is, or my pitch is seven, seven, trajectory is go. Uh, Roger, uh, cabin pressure is still about... We've got Carla Stanfield back on the line to tell us about what's going on here at the Cosmosphere this fall. Carla, welcome back to the show. Thank you, as always. So there's a lot coming up here in the fall. Can you give us a little bit of a taste and, you know, give us some info on where people can sign up? Because there's a couple events that uh, people might find very interesting. Absolutely. I think the first thing I really want to talk about um, here today, John, is that our Liberty Bell 7 Mercury spacecraft was unveiled this morning at the museum at Prairie Fire in Overland Park, Kansas. Awesome. (laughs) So it is officially on display for the public. Um, You can visit that small, it's a smaller exhibit because it is able to travel. It'll be on display at that museum until January, 2020. And with the capsule, there's a small display of artifacts as well. We also have our Apollo Redux back room mission control console exhibit that you may have remembered from our celebration this summer with the Apollo 11. It's also on display. So if you weren't able to get down to Hutch and see that and you're in the Kansas City area, I highly encourage you get out, see Liberty Bell 7 and um, try your hand at the mission control console. That sounds like a lot of fun. I actually saw the picture and it's so awesome that that's back on display in Kansas. So it's good news. We're pretty excited. So far, um, the public's reception has been very positive. In fact, uh, the gal I'm working with on their communications team told me people are truly in awe 
of the spacecraft. Awesome. (laughs) We're excited for that. Um, And then I will dive right into some events that we've got going on here. I want to remind everyone that our Everything Under the Stars Gala is back this year, October 26th, 6 p.m. to midnight. It's a chance to buy or excuse me, bid on some really fabulous silent and live auction trips, experiences, packages, um, ranging from maybe a yacht oh, wow. <laughs> uh, in the Bahamas to something local and a little more feasible, um, you know, a quick jaunt up to Kansas City for a day trip, those kinds of things. So lots of unique packages that you're not going to find other places. Bars will be available throughout the Cosmosphere themed bars. I can't tell you a whole lot, but what I can tell you is it's going to be some brand new things this year. Pac-Man is going to make an appearance. Okay. (laughs) We're going to have for sports lovers an area for you all. And for 80s babies, get excited because there's going to be a little spot for you as well. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) So tickets for that event will go on sale September 26th. They are lower ticket price this year. So I highly encourage you, if you haven't been able to come out for that event in the past, uh, consider it this year. Well, and and, uh, something I'm going to be working on, too, is a little piece of uh, themed jewelry uh, for uh, the silent auctions. And I don't have a ton of details yet, but the theme I'm thinking of is kind of uh, Ocean of Storms, a little Apollo 12 teaser. So I'll leave you with that. (laughs) Oh, I'm excited. (laughs) I can't wait. So yes, not only... Not only do we get you for our podcast, but we are very lucky to have you donate that. So thank you, John. Oh, of course. Hey, I got to put those like 16 plus years of uh, bench work experience to work. (laughs) Sure. And we'll take advantage of it. Thank you. Sounds good. Of course. So, you know, after everything under the stars, what else is going on? Well, I'm going to actually jump back up um, into September. We're going to celebrate Museum Day Live again this year. So this is an event um, that Smithsonian affiliate museums participate in across the country. It's a day where you can download a ticket onto your phone from the Smithsonian Museum Day website for an affiliate participating, Cosmosphere will be one of those affiliates participating, and you actually get two tickets into the museum with that one download. So you just put that on your phone, come to the box office that day, show your phone, and you get into the museum for free. It's pretty fabulous. It also will coincide with our September Space Out Saturday So if you've never been to that family-friendly event, I highly encourage you to think about it. It'll be hands-on activities for the family and special tours specifically designed for small children. That sounds like a lot of fun. I wish I could make it out for that. I Well, we'd love to have you, John, whenever you're able. Also on that day, we are working some details out with the seismologist from California, who you may remember a few years back. His name is Justin Rubenstein. Um, As those here locally know, we've had several earthquakes in the past couple of weeks, um, magnitude fours. So um, 
lots of public interest around the science behind these earthquakes, what's causing them, what can we do to prevent them, if anything. Justin's going to do a remote presentation, so he's not going to be present live with us, but he will be, um, you know, streamed live from California, talking about his research in our area, specifically of South Central Kansas, how these earthquakes might be related to fracking and wastewater disposal, and then give us pointers on maybe what we could do here locally to have some impact. So exact timing is still a little TBD, but that will fall also on the 21st of September. Cool. Yeah, I remember seeing some uh, news stories that people were sharing, and that's pretty wild for Kansas. It really is. It's It's been a bit concerning. <laughs> um, and they have been rather intense with lots of afterquakes or aftershocks. And so um, it's it's definitely garnering some attention here locally. And again, you know, we're trying to offer these science educational presentations over a variety of, of topics throughout the year. And we thought this was the perfect opportunity to visit with Justin again. Well, and learning about, you know, seismology and earthquakes here on Earth, it's something that happens around the solar system. So it's information absolutely. that's applicable everywhere. <laughs> and I, yeah, absolutely. You know, insight to studying the Mars quakes. Mm -hmm. um, we've got new um, pieces of technology that were just sent to the moon, I believe, to study the moon quakes. And so, yes, it's something of interest in the scientific industry in general, I think, right now. I have one last thing. I'd like to um, invite folks to look at the Wichita Space Initiative. It's it's sponsored by Wichita State University or in conjunction with Wichita State University. On October 19th, they're going to be hosting um, a scientific conference with several different presentations. There's going to be opportunities for college and high school and even middle school students to win some cash prizes through entries into essay contests and poster contests, as well as the Cosmosphere giving a speech. So I'll be able to give you a little more information on that maybe next month. But again, that'll be Saturday, October 19th with the Wichita Space Initiative out of Wichita State University, obviously in Wichita. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that next time, Carla. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Thanks, John. Appreciate you. And I'm getting ready for uh, impact here. You can see the water coming right on up. Liberty Bell 7, Liberty Bell 7, this is Atlantic Capcom. Do you read me? Over. Uh, I have actuated the rescue aids. Uh, the Reserve chute has jettisoned. In fact, I can see it in the water, I think. See something around the water. We're working on a better way to get audio from the coffee at the Cosmo events. For now, unfortunately, we were stuck recording on an iPad. It's not ideal, but the audio has been cleaned up a bit. Here's the audio from Shannon's Coffee at the Cosmosphere. Partner who made this program possible. I think this program is awesome. I love this program. You learn something every time. We always enjoy seeing your smiling faces. So, thank you so much for that. Um, Carla Medicine, I am a curator here at the Cosmos here. My name is Karen Wetzel. I have a bachelor's in history. 
I do not have a degree in science. That is rewarding for this program. I'm asking you science questions. I have no But I did try to grab all the research. All right, moving on. So, we choose to go to why we went and what we learned. Oh, look, I have to introduce that. I always forget how part of the announcements are. So, I'm sure you guys have seen every single thing on TV lately about the in the day with the movement. So when we were talking about this, we were trying to come up with something that we could do that would be informative but not necessarily something to material all the preparation. So in case you don't know, in July of nineteen sixty nine we wanted all the money. Um, why did we go to the moon? A lot of people point to JFK, rightly so, that we went to the moon um, in May 1961, we made a speech to Congress. Now, the speech you're thinking of, we used to go to the moon, not because the people went too far, was later uh, that summer, I believe, because it was very hot in Texas. That was that right, yeah, that was that right, I don't remember, but 1961. So this is a much more, uh, this is a speech to Congress asking for money. We're going to need some money to get to the vote. Um, so what was the motivation behind that? Well, in, I think just two weeks before that speech, it's April of 1961, so we sent the first human ever into space. He orbited the Earth during the year. Um, so this was a bit of a saving Also, um, you know, we talked about President and problems from the previous president. Well, I kind of started to talk about the invasion of Cuba and President Kennedy came to the invasion of Cuba, about 1,400 Cuban exiles, so this was seen as a personal and professional project. And I've, I've read some stuff, you know, generally I hope most of you recognize that I don't really like to talk about, I like to talk about facts, I like to talk about things I've read, and when the theory I've heard come out. So one of the things I've read about JFK is so it was quite a bit of a bottom call. You know, this was a personal, professional failure. He wanted to do uh, appears as a strong president. He was friend of the to start, right? And he's six years So, um, I've read that. You might have known the man part, so I won't say that that was Now, after the speech, he was very disappointed in the speech to Congress. It was received as very warm. No one really said, yes, let's go to the moon. Uh, so, he's a little disappointed, but never fear. I feel like I should have some music with this. Don't you? <laughs> never fear. LBJ is in the background of this And if any of you ever had the opportunity to read a biography of Lyndon Johnson, he was quite a character. Um, so, anyway, he's in the background. They call him, I think, the Master of Congress. And then he's, uh, you know, Find selling, trading, arm posting, whatever he's got to do to get the votes. And Kennedy didn't get to work because he didn't get the votes. So, in 
confusion about a little bit. Prior to the moonlighting, it was considered uh, under the umbrella of astronomy. We studied the moon. Astronomers studied the moon, right? When we start talking about landing on the moon, we have to start talking about geology. So we went from astronomy to geology and from science, the science that we like. I know, I'm going to talk about it. All right, so surprisingly, I suppose not surprisingly, when you think about it, because we have to tell ourselves and people have been getting out of for hundreds of years. This is a map from 1881. And we had pretty much had the moon back and ready to go. We had seen everything. I don't want to say everything, but basically everything you can see from the Apollo. So anything you could learn about the moon from the Earth, we had learned. And it was time to go there and get some more information. So the Apollo, uh, the Apollo engineers start talking about on the moon and the geologists. They are actually using that. I think they have a lot of silver to actually using that. It's very cool. Origin theories.
that it impacted us. Some people even took a little better to do it again. We were able to disprove some of those things. So we did learn a lot from unmanned missions as well. Um, I love this photo because I was on the first yesterday. I was talking to my husband and he was like, hey, Bob, who cares? No, look at the astronaut in the left corner. That tiny little astronaut is that giant green rock. That is Harrison Schmidt, Dr. Harrison Schmidt, the only <coughs> geologist to go to the moon. He went on Apollo 17, his PhD from Harvard. Um, as I mentioned, this is where I'm supposed to talk about astronomy versus geology. As I mentioned, uh, we started to talk about geologists and what we would need to do to So the United States Geological Survey became, became a partner with the Apollo program with NASA. We started talking about what are the what kind of samples should they focus on? What kind of tools should they use to get these samples? Things of that nature when you start talking about doing an actual geological survey. Um, the USGS was also a partner on the Apollo Site Selection Board. The site Selection Board shows where we ran and there were these attended away. So they were also an important partner in determining what significant areas we were going to try to explore. The, uh, this one's probably easier to see. Okay. The green is Apollo. So you can see Apollo red is right by this yellow five. And if you look at the Apollo missions, they were less than the red in the same area. When you start talking about what we learned about the moon, what more could we learn about the moon if we landed in different places? Or on the far side? That's me being philosophical. I'm not mentioning um, So the yellow is Surveyor. Now you see the Apollo 12 and Surveyor 3 right here next to each other. Apollo 12's mission, part of their mission, was to land here in Surveyor and pick up the tube or a, a piece of it so we could learn how the moon's uh, atmosphere, environment affected the spacecraft, the minerals, and all of that things, all of the, the physical makeup of the spacecraft. <coughs> now, if only there was a place here where you could see that scoop that was picked up by a follow up. Well. Which is arguably the best part of the culture anyway. So please keep that in mind. And the and the red is where the Soviets landed their unmanned Luna. So the red is Soviet unmanned. Three of those, two or three of those, brought back tanks. So we have moon rock samples from the Apollo guide, the Apollo mission, and then we also have samples from some Russian missions. Basically, you're my captive audience for some of the pictures that I make for cool. So I think this picture is cool. You know, where, where do you throw your sample back when you're getting started on collecting samples? 
This is demonstrating um, on Earth. Uh, I like this picture because it does show some of the tools they use. Now, after the astronauts, like, this is Neil and Buzz, so this is a polygraph. After they went through their coursework and fieldwork in geology, they had the equivalent of a master's degree. So, all the astronauts in geology have a master's degree. That's a lot of work. On top of learning, I use that camera. Um, we're looking at the ponds and the rocks and what we learned, look at the samples, the rocks and soil, what we learned. But I did want to put this slide in because a little bit we're going to talk about how the moon teaches us about stuff. So this is one of the experiments they put on the surface, and it's made in Swiss. Of the um, but it was capturing solar array, solar wind, solar radiation, which is the way that we studied the sun on the moon. I was not going to be able to explain how the pictures are through it. And uh, answering one of those questions we had in the beginning about the surface, the rocky, the sea, crusty, all those things. The most iconic photo of the moon landing, arguably, is the footprint, right? We all know that photo. I can say footprints of the moon, yes, I'm talking about. This photo was not taken for culinary reasons, although it is very iconic and very moving to see. It was taken to show the scientists back home what the lunar surface is like. So he actually just put his footprint down and took pictures so they can see. Of what the surface was like, how deep this foot went in, and the people left to move their around and then took away. I hope that doesn't ruin that thing. It should. It's still very helpful. They store a lot of their uh, experimental and their sample bags and all of that in the side of the lamp. So here's some more digging around on the side of the lamp. And just a really nice photo of the arm shot because uh, I just like it. And of course, if you get up very close, his eyes are very well shot. It's been a rough day. What a good day it looks like. As they got back, there was a lot of concern about contamination. Are they going to bring back moon germs, alien moon germs, that are going to wipe out the human race? Again, we laugh, but I mean, it's a realistic fear, I suppose. I don't want to wipe out the human race in the interest of science and exploration. So they were quarantined. Um, the samples were quarantined. And even the men who, uh, for instance, are not going to show the health of the spacecraft or anyone who was exposed to them was done in that whole quarantine travel with them. So they took it very seriously. I think they were in there for like 20 days. Yeah, that's horrible. Every time I learn something new, I learn why we go to the moon for another reason. But uh, Michael Collins, all we learned experience, said it was just so good to be on. He didn't be care. I'll say this thing for 20 days. Um, 
got a little bit faster than the ones as the years have gone by. Again, if you want to hear that they might grab both germs, I think Apollo 14 was the last clue to be quarantined. So by that point, I think instead of worrying so much about the crops being contaminating us, we're trying to keep them pure, we can get to science, and we're sending these out of science to study this, they have a more pure sample that has what I'm going to do. Here is a picture of some litter samples inside these samples in here. I encourage you, highly, highly encourage you to go back to our uh, temporary rotunda display. It's down here, our food board. It has um, litter, some litter tools that we use. One of them being that sample box. This is the box without the lid on it. We have a box down there with the lid on it. First of all, it is a beautiful box. Just beautiful. I love the trunk like this made of it. And also, that box was flown on Apollo 15 and 17. It's all up to us from this and something. There are other tools as well. The bag, you see that they were open. Um, if you go down to that display, the bag is actually in front and below the box. So you can see that too. On top of this, some other really cool stuff. So, what did we learn from those samples, our experiments, all of those things? We learned that the moon is not a static planetary body. It has evolved. It has a volcanic past. It was pummeled by meteorites. So the, the moon as a form is slightly different than the moon we see now. However, it still does preserve its history more than the Earth does. The Earth has weather, erosion, water, uh, tectonics, all of these things that give the Earth face, volcanoes. Uh, so the Earth's surface is constantly changing, constantly in a scientific way. Uh, we also learned that the moon has a crust, a mantle, and a core, just kind of like the Earth. The core is quite as magnetic as the Earth, as the Earth's core. Now, when I read that, Again, I know it's not a How do you know what the little moon is like? How do you know what the little earth is like? But at least I can know that a little bit. So, I don't know that. And this is another example as to how um, we are still learning things about both. Because we need to bring the samples back 1969 to 1972. Well, we know everything about the moon by 1973, right? And that's not the case. Not only just because there's tons of stuff to study about the moon, but also because we're getting new scientific procedures, new equipment. We're constantly being able to reevaluate what we learned by using those samples. And, Surface was uh, to study moon quakes. 
So by using the data off of this equipment, they could look at the size of electrical waves or something like that. They could learn uh, where the upper mantle is, where the lower mantle is, and all of those things. So that is how they study what's underneath the surface. So that's a very good way for you to drill all the way down to the center of the zone, although they didn't use those. <laughs> okay, so the youngest moon rocks are basically as old as the oldest bird rocks. And that is, again, talking about that phase lift that the Earth gets all the time. Since the moon does not really have an atmosphere, or at least not the way the Earth does, it doesn't have weather erosion in, in, in the Earth sense. Um, the moon has, again, maintained its history with those oldest moon rocks. The moon and the Earth are related. Okay, more uh, The moon and the Earth are related. So, talking about the latest origin theory, again, theory, because obviously these ideas are always the latest theory on how the moon formed is that a large planetary body, probably the size of Mars, hit the Earth. And then the debris from the Earth, as well as from that planetary body, so the Earth is not just the primary parent anymore, it is just one. There were two bodies, one being the Earth, that created the Earth. That is the latest theory. Uh, there's no evidence of life on the Moon. Sorry, guys. There's no fossils. There's no native or native compounds. Uh, obviously, there's no living or bad. So no life on the Moon. I'm sorry. <coughs> Oh, there are three types of moonrocks. All of which formed in the absence of water. They are the salt, and north of sites, probably, and bridges. So there are three types of moonrocks. Absence of water is what is very and some of them, because the moon has a uh, volcanic past, some of the rocks are considered a so. <coughs> What did we learn? Oh, yeah, I said the moon has a volcanic past. We talked about that. Uh, asteroid impacts created basins, which I think I don't know. I'm not sure about the moon, that's obvious. The moon is lopsided, possibly from Evolving under the influence of the Earth's gravity, the moon's center of mass is closer to the Earth, if that makes sense. Yet the center of the mass is displaced towards the Earth, and the crust is thicker on the other side. So, interesting. We also learned about the sun, which again, I didn't know How does the moon tell us about the sun? Well, since there is no atmosphere, the moon is constantly pummeled by solar radiation. So those rocks have been pummeled by solar radiation. 
not to mention the, the solar winds, the, the experience I showed you earlier. You can learn about it from that as well. Something that I think is also extremely cool is that we learn how to study other planets' geology. So we had a uh, ranger with orbiting the Earth in the early 60s, late 80s, early 60s, I can't remember. Surveyor, and then landed on the so we were able to take those pictures that Ranger had taken while orbiting and compare them to the surface of the moon in the exact same place and learn how the picture can be interpreted from the actual surface. So now, when we have pictures of Venus, even though we don't necessarily have a craft running around on the ground there, we have an idea of what the surface of Venus is based on how we learn to study the moon. Are there any questions about the moon or anything? Yeah, we'll just start over here. So you were talking about how the moon is lopsided? Yes. So it doesn't rotate on axis like uh, the Earth does? I think it still rotates on an axis. I think it's more of the uh, geological development. It's, it's lopsided in the sense that the center of mass is closer <laughs> and that the crust is thicker. But again, picture Really, I'm just trying to whet your appetite and go. You tell us. Yes, sir. It's small. It is. Gosh, I don't know. I think that will be an easy Google. I can't tell you. It's smaller. I love those maps where they show you like how many states you can text it to. I'm sure there's one out there that will show you that. I'm so sorry, I feel like I'm failing on there. Yes, sir. Yes, I did read that. The moon is actually moving away from us very, very, very slowly. But yes. And how does that affect our world? We talk about a lot about how. Um, but we talk a lot about the moon. The moon affects the earth, too. So that will affect us as well. That's very, very Yes. Were there subsequent landings? Like after landing? Okay, like 12, 14, 15, 16, 17. So, six total landings on the moon. The last one was in 1972. There were three more planned, but we didn't like very crazy. It had to be. So, we didn't go on a satellite, so I didn't know satellite. In terms of the news theory about how the moon was formed, is it possible that the volcanic ash or whatever on the moon actually came from the Earth? Yeah, I, can't, I don't know. Um, I think that you could get into a lot of theories about and how close the moon to the Earth and impact by what was flying everywhere. And, you know, I Okay. Uh, well, the channel 18 is the other night. Uh, they said something about the moon. Uh, 2,000 miles. 2,000 miles across. Okay, that's what we do. What did we do before the end? Obviously, the libel starts with the stock orbs are 
That is real, but it is not flown. It's all going to be from the Smithsonian. I do have a dust brush because those four guys got so dusty on the thing. And it was almost like mag not magnetic, but it's stuck and clung to them. And so they have uh, some information later mentioned for um, we're able to use it because the first couple guys were like, it was so messy, people were worried about the spacecraft, worried about dust getting into it and it not working. So I have the dust brush. Oh, I have a contingency bag. More or less, the first thing that they did on the moon, okay, so they landed on the moon, they prepared the craft for emergencies. They carry the craft. So if anything happens, they just run on and they you know the alien comes up. Um the second thing they did was eat. Alright. Then they were supposed to have a rest period. Obviously they did not want to do that, so they asked Matt to post on that, which they were fine with. So um when they actually, when Neil Armstrong actually got onto the surface, one of the first things he did was take a contingency sample. Again, with the idea being, if something goes wrong, we have one sample. Uh, so I have a contingency bag that uh, I think it's flown. We're not sure what mission, because several missions used it. Uh, you know, obviously everyone wanted to take that just in case. So I have the contingency bag. Again, it would have been close to something, but it's not that they're not scooping it up. And then, um, just for this audience, because of this exciting event, I have a lunar sample collection bag that was loaned, used, stored actual lunar rocks on Apollo 15. So as you can imagine, we don't have a whole lot of Apollo 11 flown stuff. This was like a kind of key that obviously. But so I do have so actual tools all of them. This was like not from the actual tools that could have been used. And then the the contingency guys flown and then the sample back flown on all I'm going to be a sticker about drinks, so if you come over, please you just leave your drinks table. I promise we will not mess with a healthy right. We're not moving anybody's drinks. Okay, but if you would just not bring drinks These are pretty, not only are they priceless, but they don't belong to us. So I like to say, hey, so they're going to be set long As I'd like people to do it all. All right, that is it. Thank you so much for coming. I'm sure I will over Thanks for listening to the Cosmosphere podcast. Make sure you share and subscribe to the show. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. They help more people find out about the show. For the Cosmosphere, I'm John Mullins.